again, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Fret Club. My name is John Height. Uh, this week, we feature uh, one that I, I really enjoy. It's a 2003 interview with a guy who's uh, probably my favorite working in the music field today. His name is Robin Ford. Uh, a common name to guitarists and musicians, uh, not quite as common to folks who listen to their music leisurely. Uh, he's been around a long time. Robin's uh, been working since the late 60s, turned into the 70s, and gained some notoriety by playing with George Harrison and Joni Mitchell in their touring bands in the 1970s. He did put out one solo album in the 1970s, produced uh, actually by Steve Cropper, the guitarist uh, with Booker T and the MGs. And he did lots of studio work into the 80s, playing uh, literally every kind of music. He spent some time playing with legendary Miles Davis and finally started receiving some acclaim with 1988's Talk to Your Daughter album. That led to a string of wonderful records with his band, The Blue Line, and uh, he's served up lots more since then, uh, including, uh, well, a side project he has, a bit of a jazz supergroup called Jing Chi. He's often called a blues guitarist, but he's fluent in pretty much every genre you want him to uh, be. His work in the jazz field, some of the finest playing in the past 30 years, and uh, he's a busy guy. Besides his own work, he's appeared on a diverse group of records that numbers in the dozens, if not the hundreds. His 1999 gem, Supernatural, uh, in my opinion anyway, one of the single most underrated records of the past 30 years. In this interview, you will hear us chatting about that record, Supernatural, which came out in 1999. He'll also be talking about his latest release at the time of this interview called Keep On Running. We talk guitars, we talk record labels. Uh, I do want to point out, at one point, I do use the expression, not for publication, in the interview, uh, you remember I did these uh, interviews as uh, part of my job at Vintage Guitar, where I'm a writer, Vintage Guitar Magazine. And so that's what the not publication part was about. But don't worry, nothing bad is said or spilled. So I decided to leave it in the interview uh, for a chat about Robin's buddy, Larry Carlton. Remember, this was recorded for the magazine story, and this one I appear to have a cold or something, a lot of coughing, sneezing, and sniffling, and make a few other noises I probably wouldn't have uh, if I'd been doing this for a radio show or a podcast. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get it rolling. Here we go. This is the second time I talked with Robin. My original interview with him was at the time of the record Tiger Walk, so we picked things up with talk about how busy he'd been after Tiger Walk. And since then, boy, I tell you, you've, you've had a lot of stuff out, and good stuff, not just, you know, uh, well, stuff. my third record. Right, but I mean, you've been involved in tons of other stuff too, obviously. Uh, well, with a Jimmy. Of records with my brother. Right, yep. Uh, a couple of records with Gene Chee. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Um, kind, of, kind of a heavy schedule. Well, maybe not, you know, not to a guy who just plays, but in this day of pop stars, <laughs> kind of a busy schedule recording wise. Well, uh, you know, um, it's, you know, you're, you're busy and then mm -hmm. you're not. Sure. I mean, there's always kind of something going on and some kind of involvement with something uh -huh. going on, but uh -huh. um, it's not 24 hours, right. seven days a week, which it might appear, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. uh, but, you know, for me, it's, uh, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, sure. but it's, it's, a, it's like a roller coaster, you know? Yeah, okay. You're really hitting and then you're kind of not doing much. That makes sense, yeah, makes total sense. But I always like the not doing much part because it allows me to prepare mm -hmm. when I'm really hitting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it all kind of works together. Um, let's 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 go to the new album then. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm trying to think. The last one was. Uh, the first one for Concord that I can't remember the name of. Blue Moon, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So you had a couple years in between. 
And uh, it sounds to me a lot different than, than Blue Moon, and for a couple of reasons. I'm curious what, what kind of what you were looking at with, with the new one. Well, you know, if you look at all of my mm -hmm. records, they all yep. sound different. Yes. From each other. Yes. So that's not a, you know, shouldn't be too much of a surprise for <laughs> people who know my work. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one thing that people often say is, it sounds like you're you're doing more blues now. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> yeah. huh? I don't know. I, guess. <laughs> I mean, what I do is eclectic. And yeah, very much. I can tell you that the one thing about this record that maybe uh, sets it, in, in particular, sets it apart from other records mm -hmm. is uh, the influence of my producer, okay. uh, who is John Wooler. Mm -hmm. And uh, John is English. Mm -hmm. Do you know John Moore? I know the name. I do not, uh, you know, know John, him personally, uh, certainly. He but. was at Virgin Records for many years. Right. And he, uh, and he had his own label, Point Blank, mm -hmm. which was funded by Virgin. Got it. And he ran Point Blank Records. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm certainly familiar with some Point Blank artists. He has a very strong background, um, you know, in, uh, in blues and uh, in particular... Uh, because he's English, obviously his his kind of uh, well, wh what's in his blood is, is kind of the the English sure. blues. Sure. Uh huh. So, you know, for instance, you know, where I would be talking about Paul Butterfield, he'd be talking about John Mayall. Got it. Sure. And um, that is actually a pretty fair uh, way of kind of. Uh, separating, you know, again, this record for me from everything I've done in the past. Mm -hmm. This record has a British influence to it. Okay, you could, I think it's noticeable, yeah. Yeah. Especially title cut, obviously. <laughs> well, keep on running. Yeah. Indeed. Mm -hmm. uh, homework, mm -hmm. uh, which was, you know, recorded by Otis Rush. Right. Uh, the version that uh, John played for me when he, you know, wanted me to hear the song. Uh-huh. Uh, I did not know the song. Uh, mm -hmm. He played Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Badge. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's Cream. Yeah. And, um, you know, and also uh, the other thing, um, he brought all those songs to the party. Okay. And also, um, you know, he kind of encouraged me to listen to Freddie King. Okay. Mm hmm. And uh, a lot of the English, for some reason, gravitated toward Freddie King. Uh-huh. You know? Most definitely, yeah. And for me, you know, I was always more into B.B. King. Uh-huh. So, uh, again, there seems to be a little bit of a British influence there, I would say. Had you written the, the, uh, the shuffle, the, the Freddie King tribute thing before all this, or, or was that... No. You hadn't? Okay, so it came out of all this. Record. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, based on his encouraging me to listen to Freddie King records. Got it. Okay. Uh -huh. So we were developing a sound. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I kind of ran with it, because I had, of course, listened to John Mayall and the blues records. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, um, you know, the first time I heard Eric Clapton was, was <laughs> on that first, you know, uh -huh. John Mayall record, and it made a big impression. Mm -hmm. So um, I was not unfamiliar with that, but I didn't, um, you know, again, the things that I drew on for my own personal inspirations for my music were always much more mm -hmm. American. Yeah. 
that, that makes sense. And I, I had a question here about the cover, so that answers part of, part of the questions because there's really some interesting choices. Uh, the ones you just mentioned, and then uh, For the Love of Money is the kind of song I would never think of covering in that sort of setting, but man, it worked really well. Was that something you just had? No, <laughs> I was actually really afraid of, of doing that. That song was actually suggested to me by my manager. <laughs> really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he has, uh, he's been listening to me for a long time. Sure. And so he has some sense of what may or may not work with me. And even though I still think it's kind of an outrageous idea <laughs> that I would cut a, that song. Yeah. Uh, somehow it worked. Yeah, it worked great. And I, I confess, when I, I obviously I'm a fan of yours and listen to your music. When I saw it on the sheet, I thought, boy, that's... That, that seems like it may be an odd choice. Yeah. <laughs> but it worked uh, nicely. Again, for me to sing that song. But, you know, I, again, this is, uh, that actually gets to a another point about this particular record mm -hmm. and how we went about doing it. I left myself very open mm -hmm. on this record. Mm -hmm. you know, I really wanted, you know, I wanted a producer and I swore to myself <laughs> that I would listen to my producer. Okay. You know, I wanted to let somebody influence this record so that it wasn't just another, you know, um, me trying to fulfill my vision. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Because that can get a little myopic. Mm-hmm. I, I think that my records, I'm actually proud of all of my records, but the last record I did uh, before this one, Blue Moon, Mm-hmm. Uh, that was produced by myself and my engineer, Walter New. Mm -hmm. And um, I had been doing a lot of other work before we got around to doing that album. And, you know, for, somehow to me, the Blue Moon record is a... It just... It, it's not as open feeling yeah. as uh, some of my other work. Okay. As I would say all of my other work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, this record, the new one... Mm -hmm. uh, it has to me a very open feeling. It breathes. It's got a real live sound to it. It's got a hip sound. Very to live, it. yeah. And it's got great funky feels on it. Yep. You know, both the drummers, I, I thought, you know, really did a great job. Uh huh. I agree. Got to ask you about because you kind of sent me back to somebody I'd completely forgot about, and maybe I don't know. The only version I know of me and my woman is Shuggy Otis. Oh, really? Is that, where did that come from? I didn't know that he recorded it. Yeah, back in like 71 or 2, and I remembered it from high school, and now, of course, I've just ordered the CD again after hearing your oh. version. Because I haven't heard it in almost 30 years, and I thought, wow, great song, great, you know. Well, I first heard Me and My Woman uh, from John Mayall. Okay. Uh-huh. Blues Breakers. And, um, Is that on the Blues Breakers? Jeez. Yeah. Wow. All right. It's on Crusade. Okay. And, um, but I also, uh, got the uh, recording of the original version. Which is, I see, I don't even know who originally did it. Isn't that awful? You know what? I'm, I'm mistaken, though. That's not true. Oh, okay. There's another song okay. that actually didn't wind up on the U.S. release. Got it. Okay. Uh, that was, uh, I got a different version of it. So the only version I think I have ever heard is the John Mayall version. Okay. Interesting. I was just curious because I, I... To me, it seemed very obscure, but uh, obviously it's not as obscure as I thought it was. It is obscure. How many people do you think 
fought that John Mayall Alice. Well, yeah, or the Shuggy Otis, so you're probably right. It, yeah. it probably is. That's an obscure tune. Yeah, it's a great song. That's a great lyric and just works so well yeah, the way you arranged it. Um, okay, uh, working on the album. Um, well, you talk, you already covered that a little bit about how, how you got the sound and that kind of thing, because it does sound, it's a real open-sounding record. Well, I'd uh, like to give some credit sure. to my engineer. Mm-hmm. Nico Bolas. Sure. Mm-hmm. Nico was unbelievable during this record. He was so engaged <coughs> in, in making this record mm-hmm. um, in, in the studio, not outside the studio. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. John and I would, you know, meet and talk about songs and listen to stuff. But once we went into the studio, in terms of recording and in terms of performances, uh, Nico was just unbelievable great energy uh-huh. uh, to work with. I mean, he was, he was just a kick. And, uh, you know, I had worked with him once before on an album I did called Tiger Walk. Tiger Walk, Walk yeah. Well, we, you mentioned that. Yep, yeah, that's the last interview we did, so I, I remembered it was Miko there. Yeah, Nico was, uh-huh. co-produced the record, and um, basically he, he engineered it and, uh-huh. and mixed it. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't really involved in uh, the choosing of the musicians or the you know any of the musical choices got it okay but uh, anyway he's just a wonderful cat to work with uh-huh. just wonderful and uh, personally i you know i was he kind of deserves a co-production credit on that record i think uh-huh. um but you know uh-huh. it, it was it wasn't necessary i understand i understand uh some of the guys you worked with and i tell you the truth i got a uh, uh a copy before it was actually released with no listing of musicians. So I know, oh. I know, I mean, I did have some stuff in the press release about who was playing, but not everything. Uh-huh. Can you just throw out some names? And this, this isn't for interviews, just for, you know, well, so I have something. Two drummers on the record. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy who's been playing, who just did my European tour with me, mm-hmm. his name is Tos Panos. It's T-O-S, okay. Tos, mm-hmm. and then Panos, P-A-N-O-S. Okay. Got it. Okay. That's very short for a rather long Greek name. <laughs> okay. And um, the other drummer is a guy named Steve Potts. Okay. Mm-hmm. With two T's. Mm-hmm. And Steve plays with Booker T and the MGs. Mm-hmm. He did um, a Neil Young record. He's from Nashville, and he's become a very in-demand guy on that kind of southern circuit. Right, yeah. And I have seen the name. I, I confess to that <laughs> before. Uh, I know... Jimmy Earl. Jimmy Earl. I was just going to say he had Jimmy Earl playing, I know. Yeah. He, he played on everything. He played. He did, okay. All right. Is he? Did he tour with you when you were in Europe? Or? Well, he has, but yeah. no, he has Not this been time. working with me on the road because he's, he's doing a television show in town. Oh, he is? Okay. He's in town now. Okay. He's on the Jimmy Kimmel Live. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Who'd you, who'd you have go out with you this time? Uh, like uh, in Europe, who were you? Huh? Play mm-hmm. drums. Right. Uh, a bassist from the Bay Area who actually plays with my brother Patrick. His name is Dwayne Pate. Okay. Okay. And uh, a tenor saxophone player named Bob Malik. Bob Malik, yes. Who's on the album as well. All right. I knew that. I did know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you worked on an album with, of his, did you, a while back? God, I remember reading that. And I don't have it and haven't heard it, but I know I've heard other fans. I've done a couple of records. Did you produce one of his or something? I did. I've had friends rave about it. I know that. Oh, really? And I've never heard it. 
So it's one of those, you know, that I'll find someday. Well, and that's very hard to find. You know what? I, I Another one I want to ask you about, since we're talking about this, that I just found I had never run across before was the Georgie Fame album from, like, the early 90s. Mm -hmm. What? What a great album. Oh, oh thanks. How, how did that uh, all come about? Well, um, Ben Sidrin. Oh, okay. Sure. Right. And uh, that's, uh, Bob Malik is also, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Ben Sidron, you know, Go Jazz. Mm-hmm, sure. With Ben's label. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and that's the label that Bob's records were on. Oh, I did, okay, I did not know that. Yeah, Go Jazz. Okay, interesting. I was a big Ben fan uh, for a while, back, back, back in the old days. <laughs> well, um, I had actually toured uh, a little bit with Georgie Fame, like uh, week and a half in England. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think. I, uh, my band was, like, my, my group, the Blue Line. Uh-huh, sure. We might have, like, opened the show, and then I played with Georgie and his band, too. Got it, okay. Or something like that. <laughs> but I, I've, you know, been planted with Georgie for a while. Sure. Well, it's a great album. I just happened to run across it and went, hey, <laughs> I'm going to grab this. Uh, are you still doing much? I know I have a. I've picked up a few new newer releases by other artists that you play on. So are you still doing a little bit of help, uh, like studio stuff, if somebody asks you, or uh, well, I do not a lot? Things occasionally. It's mm -hmm. pretty rare. Okay. I, I saw the one that sticks in my head for some reason is uh, a Bill Evans album that came out this year. Yeah. Uh, I did that one. I did a Charlie Musselwhite record. Yep. Yeah, okay. But, um, it's, you know, people, you know, when you're doing your own thing, mm -hmm. when you're really behaving like a solo artist, you know, solo career, people, they stop calling you. Because <laughs> they just assume that sure. you're not going to be around. Sure. And in many cases, they're correct, but, you know, mm -hmm. there are cases when they're not. <laughs> and I enjoy recording for other people. I, I really do. I, uh, and like I said at the beginning, I know you're busy, uh, and the, I know you re enjoy recording it. You strike me as a guy, and even from seeing you in concert, who just likes to play, basically. Yeah. That's right. Would, would that be a good thing to... I would say that's a very accurate description. Yeah, in fact, speaking of that Bill Evans CD, I remember when he thanked you on there. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I think it just says, Let's Play or something like that. Or <laughs> it's, it's got... Oh, well, he wants to, you know, we talked after we did that record, we talked off and on for about a year trying to get together some... Oh, really? But it just, you know... Because of our schedule, yeah. it just never worked out. That's too bad. That'd be fun. <laughs> be a fun yeah. band. Only, I, I just got a couple more things if I can ask you. Um, Supernatural, the album Supernatural, sure. uh, I thought was just a knockdown dead wonderful album. Thank you. In every respect. Uh, and I'm curious, I, I know I saw some things written about it, and I have some friends who for one reason or the other, don't like it as much as some of your other stuff. And I'm wondering if this is some kind of frustration for you, because what I usually get is, well, he didn't play any guitar on it. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> are you nuts, or? Those are people who don't know shit about guitar. Well, I, yeah, I, it, uh, that's got to be frustrating. <laughs> well, it, it, it was at the time. Yeah. Uh, especially. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for me, um, probably the best record I've ever made uh -huh. uh, in terms of um, at least my own personal feeling of accomplishment. Yep. 
in terms of the right. I mean, I really did everything on that record. I had a producer on it. Uh, she basically mixed the, the recorded and mixed the album. Got it. Everything, every choice that was made on that record was mine. You know, uh, most of the writing yeah. and uh, the whole concept. You know, that that was a real. To me, an artistic accomplishment. Yes. In a sense, Tiger Walk uh, and Supernatural are kind of my favorite records I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they are pure. Yeah. They're and they're they're basically manifestations of the music of my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that's Robin Ford, really. <laughs> I well yeah and I the, the Supernatural. It, to me is like maybe you know I'm just showing my age but it's like the albums I used to listen to it's got everything and everything is done really well yeah the songwriting there's great songs you know the, all the songs stick in your head it's not like you know you got one tune and the rest stinks you know what I'm saying yeah I so you know not trying to blow smoke I'm just telling you I, no, I appreciate I it just, I really do yeah. I mean that's the way I feel about it too good yeah I, I think that uh, you know, people have, they're looking for different things in records. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know, when I was growing up, there were so many things uh, going on mm-hmm. that were truly creative. You know, the 60s. Yep, sure. So there was that whole experience of, you know, not only did you have great uh, R&B on the radio, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there are also was the whole San Francisco thing that happened, and then, of course, the Beatles re- leading the way. Mm-hmm in terms of really blowing the whole thing open. <laughs> and so creativity, you know, and variety. Yeah, <laughs> yes. You know, openness was, was a part of the day. <laughs> and, you know, today, it's like if it's not in a can, you know. Yeah. Everything is just so, uh, well, I should say people. Yeah. Are, are very um, uh, narrow-minded, I guess. I, the thing that bugged me probably the most about it, I think, was that I had other musician friends of mine who were saying that, and I thought, I just, I can't believe, you know, yeah. <laughs> what the hell you're saying. Well, thanks, man. Anyway, yeah, uh, just, just so, truly, you know. If, if somebody takes says, I don't play any guitar on that record, which I know I heard people say that, <sighs> I, I would not, you know, they, they don't know shit about music. Yeah, and you, well, and you play plenty of guitar to go along with great songs. Incidentally, my, I have an eight-year-old who loves that album, too. <laughs> Oddly enough, he made me record it for him, which uh, was great. Uh, So, (laughs) Um, uh, equipment-wise these days, what are you using? uh, Boy, I've seen you, I've probably seen you four or five times. My equipment hasn't changed for the most part in, you know, Uh 13 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I still use the same Dumble Overdrive amplifier. Mm -hmm. Sure. I have two of them now, okay. uh, but I, I'm still using the main, the same first one I bought is still the main one. Got it. Even though they sound virtually identical. Uh-huh. Uh, and they go through minor modifications from Dumble from time to time. Mm-hmm. But um, basically it's the Dumble Overdrive Special with a 2x12 cabinet. Got it. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I have two guitars that I use. <coughs> Okay. Which is uh, a 1960 Fender Tele. Right. And um, I, you know, of course, used to have the Robin Ford model through Fender. Mm-hmm, sure. But I basically finally uh, dropped that relationship. Because okay. 
the guy who made the guitars at Fender that I liked uh-huh. uh, is a fellow named Gene Baker. Uh-huh. And uh, when Gene left the company, ever since then, I couldn't seem to get guitars that I was really happy with. Okay. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I know Gene, and he started his own company. All right. So we talked, and I said, what do you say? You want to just build something for me? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and I just cut the Fender thing loose. Got it. Yep. Uh, I have so, a... Yeah, go ahead. Album, do you have the cover? Uh, Probably not. I, the cover I have, and I don't think it's the one that's in the stores, is you, it looks like, walking in a field okay, holding yeah, a guitar. Okay, the, um, the, the pre okay. thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, uh, you don't really see the guitar. <coughs> right. When you see the actual CD. Okay, yeah. That's the guitar I'm playing uh, as well. It's called a Baker. Okay. And it's, a, it's basically the RF model. Okay. Designed by Gene and myself. Okay. Um, what was... When I saw you, I don't know, maybe two years ago you were here, uh, playing at the zoo here. Yeah. You were playing some sort of Gibson that I couldn't figure out what it was. And it looked like a 335, but it it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what that thing was called. <laughs> was it, it wasn't a 335 then? No, it's a... Okay. Body. Yeah, I thought either you've grown or. <laughs> yeah. It's a 335, and you know, with a, a, a shrunk down body. Okay. Wow. I don't remember what it's called. But it was a Gibson. Yeah. Of some but sort. I was okay. Trying it out. Uh, cause Got it. I'm, you know, Mike McGuire mm-hmm. is a, an old friend, and you know, we were talking. I yep. said, Mike, you know, send me some. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I, well. Anyway, I asked him to send me something, and, and he, he said, you know, I think you'll like this. And, you know, it just, it doesn't work for me anymore. I got you, sure. You sure. Know, I'm, I'm more interested in, um, quite frankly, uh, I'm even thinking about going to a Les Paul. Oh, really? The 335 type guitar is just too soft mm-hmm. for me. Okay, makes something sense. a little too thick. A little too, you know what I mean by yep. soft? Yes, I know exactly what you mean, yes. I like soft, but, it, you know, with an edge. Not for everything, right, yeah. So, uh, great vintage guitars, you know. Yep. That's where I really find that. So, consequently, you know, the one vintage instrument I take on the road, because it just, it just, I, I can't avoid it, it's just so good <laughs> for the road in every way, is that 60 Tele. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then I have this Baker, uh, you know, Two humbucking pickups, um, guitar okay. with, with cavities in it, sound cavities. It does have cavities, okay. And uh, you know, I'm I'm playing that on the new album, and I also play um, a '54 Les Paul, you know, with the P90s on the new yep. album. Yeah. Okay. I think those are my two guitars, uh, and then the Tele. Okay. All right. Um, when you were talking about the 335. Uh, Carlton went back to the 335. Did you see that? Yeah. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. He, are you having, you know, speaking of Carlton, are you having, uh, are, you, are you, and this is not for publication, I'm just curious, because last time we talked, you expressed some dissatisfaction with the recording industry. <laughs> yeah. Concord, things going well with Concord, I hope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, and like I said, it's not for publication. I'm just curious. They're great. Okay. I'm having a very good experience. Uh, the, the only reason I asked that when we were talking about Carlton was he just put out an album overseas that I don't think they'd put out here. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and it's a pretty much just a blues album.
mean, he hasn't said that, but I'm assuming it. So maybe I'm assuming wrong. I don't know. The label being? Uh, his label here, he records for Warners, I believe, still, doesn't he? I, I think. Oh, I see. Yeah, and I, I think they may have said, you know. I don't think he's on Warner Brothers. Is he on? Well, he was for a while on Verve. And I'm not sure where where he's at now, but he was on Warner for one or two. And then, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I just thought it was curious that they wouldn't release it in the U.S. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah Larry had done uh, a quite successful, I think, kind of smooth jazz record. Very, very much so. He, yeah, his last two actually, I know, have been real big smooth jazz. So I wonder if they said, well, you know, it doesn't fit with what we've been putting out for you, so. Yeah, that's probably it. So that's, that's my guess, and huh? So we just released it in Japan. Yep, and I just actually just got it last week, and it's it's pretty much, not straight blues, but even the jazzier stuff is more like maybe Miles stuff, you know, that's bluesy, that kind of deal. Really? So, yeah. And then there's just straight shuffles and stuff, which kind of surprised me, because, you know, he hasn't well, done that in a while, so. Yeah, he, he likes that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's always himself, uh, Well, you, you need a genre. Larry's not really a blues guy. Yeah. He's a, he's a jazz guy. Yep, exactly, exactly. You know, he can play all kinds of other shit, and he wants to. <laughs> yeah. But you gotta, you know, people perceive you in a certain way, and you know, you're stuck with it, like it or not. It was kind of disconcerting. Uh, my wife pointed out on the album he thinks his granddaughter, and she said, wait a minute. The guitar players you like are thinking their grandkids on their albums. Uh, <laughs> What's that say about you? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, how about that? Yeah, you don't you don't see that in a lot of a lot of rock albums these days. No. One one last question, then I'll let you go. Uh, if I could, uh, just uh, it kind of hints back to what I said about you being busy. Uh, not really the differences, but the uh, what it gives to you to do something like uh, you know with Jimmy and uh, and then with Jimmy Haslip and uh, and, uh, and Jing Chi and then you know going back to do your stuff that kind of thing uh-huh. you know the differences and what what kind of what it gives you I guess as a musician basically well Jing Chi is a collaborative mm-hmm. effort um, it's basically instrumental mm-hmm. and so for me um it's, it's, it's a gig made in heaven. Yep. I'm playing with, you know, as, as good a musician as I could find. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're playing relatively simple music that we can just, you know, play our brains out. Sure. And um, they pay us a bunch of money <laughs> and we don't have to do anything Excuse to support me. it. Sure. So it's, it's a dream gig. I mean, quite frankly, I would like to take it on the road. Uh-huh. But it's too expensive. Yeah. I mean, the, the musicians are too expensive. You know? uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we need to find a really big promoter <laughs> <laughs> you know, who could make this thing happen. Because, you know, I really would like to see it happen uh-huh. at some point. And I'd be willing to, you know, do it for for less money, just for the joy. Uh-huh. Uh, but Vinny's not going to do that. He's He's far too in demand, you know. Yeah. Working for other people. Very busy, yeah. And that's what he does. You know? Mm-hmm. I have my own independent career, mm-hmm. and uh, so consequently, um, you know, I'm I'm busy. <laughs> but as I say, I would I would be happy to make room for it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to be able to do that. 
Yeah. Okay. Jimmy's very busy with the yellow jackets, so. Yeah. Jimmy's producing too. I see now. I just Pardon? saw. He's producing now too. I see Jimmy is. I just saw his name on. Yeah, on a couple things recently. We're actually going to do a new Jing Chi album. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it looks. I just talked to Jimmy about it yesterday. In fact, and, uh -huh. uh, it looks like we're going to record in uh, January. Oh, great! That'll be fun. I look forward to that. It's. Uh, it's. And then, of course, my own, in, you know, independent mm -hmm. solo career. I mean, that's like my vision. Yep. So, um, you know, it, it's and it's, you know, developing myself as a songwriter, uh -huh. which is not particularly exemplified on this new album, uh -huh. but. Uh, as you know, has been quite a bit in the past Certainly, yeah. and will continue to be in the future. That's where I chose to kind of develop myself, you know. Yep, okay, makes sense. The yeah. tributes with your brothers, uh, I'm assuming just a, a good way to play with your brothers, have fun and pay tribute to yeah, were, folks who influenced you. They were both, of course, my brother Patrick's uh, mm -hmm. projects mm -hmm. and I was very happy to be involved. The Butterfield record was presented sort of as a Robin Ford album, which I actually was kind of unhappy about. <laughs> But uh, I had, you know, yeah, I, understand. I was I was without a deal at that time, mm -hmm. so it was legal. That's <laughs> my brother. But um, in any case, um, those were a, a lot of fun to me, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I just it's, it's always a joy to to work with my brothers in that way. Sure, how could it not be? <laughs> How could it not be? Well, it wasn't years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into that, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, okay, one more last question. Then I will let you go, I promise. Uh, anything you listen to these days that we maybe, you know, wouldn't expect you to be listening to? Uh, do you do a lot of listening to music? I know I talk to some guys who just plain old like to do their stuff, and, and that's it when they've reached a certain point. Well, um... Just very occasionally, I, I find something that I like mm -hmm. uh, that's a little off the wall. Generally, anything that I like is kind of a little <laughs> off the wall. <laughs> it's certainly not going to be mainstream, you know. Uh -huh. It doesn't seem to ever be. Sure. Uh, I've, I've been listening to this singer. Um, you might know who it is, because uh, I can't think of his name right now. Okay. But it's, it's like... It's not Valdez, but it's like the names start with a C and a V, Valeros or Not sure. Do you know the film um, Talk to Her? Uh, I know of it. I've never seen it, yes. It's a strange film. Okay. Hard to recommend, but I kind of liked it. Okay. But there's a performance by this, you know, I don't know if he's Mexican or Spanish or Portuguese. Okay. Because he sings in both languages. Uh-huh. And um, he, uh, he did this version of a song called La Paloma. Do you know that song? Yes, I do, yep. In, in the film Talk to Her. It, it just was this, huh. this performance, like you, the scene breaks into this party, uh -huh. some kind of wealthy person's house. And you hear this live music, and, and it pans in on this little group playing on a, a beautiful kind of patio area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's singing La Paloma, and the guy just killed it. Interesting. My wife yeah. and I both, we were just slayed by this guy. Uh -huh. So we went on the internet, and we found him, and, and we got a recording of him. And I really huh. like that. Interesting. Okay. 
I'll have to check to see who that is. I'm not sure. Yeah, you, you might even just be able to find his name on you know, the internet or something. Yeah, I'm sure. The internet's wonderful for that sort of thing. So, huh, interesting. Okay. I really like that. And, uh, you know, beyond that, I, you know, I mainly listen to, you know, Sonny Rollins. Mm -hmm. I've been, uh, in fact, listening, kind of revisiting um, a lot of the Blue Note recordings. Oh, okay. Biography of Blue Note Records. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? I have, yes. Yep. That kind of reignited my interest. Ah, okay. So you read that and uh, suddenly started uh, <laughs> checking out the records again. There you have it, Robin Ford from 2003. By the way, the eight-year-old we talked about uh, in that interview is now 24-year-old Dylan, my son. And Dylan is a fine guitar player. Just went out on tour of the U.S. with singer Dylan Reese. And yes, uh, Supernatural, the album we're talking about. Still a favorite of his. Gets a lot of listens and guitar uh, play-alongs from Dylan. All right, uh, we'll talk again next week. If you enjoy the show, you know anyone who would like to maybe advertise or if you have something to tell me, just send it along to jhite at hbi.com. Uh, don't forget these came from interviews with vintage uh, for Vintage Guitar Magazine. You can check out Vintage Guitar at VintageGuitar.com. Uh, if you'd like to, send me a message. Fret Club has pages on Twitter and Facebook. We'd like to hear from you, see what you're thinking of the show. So that's it for this week. We will talk again in one week.